0: the day that the lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it father we thank you that we get to be here this morning as sister monica said earlier we earlier we recognize that this is a gift from you that there are places all around the world where people do not get to do what we are doing right now don't let us take that for granted let us sit in humble humble worship of you this morning Father, I pray that as I, I bring your word today that I would decrease and you would increase, that there would be less of me and more of you today, and that the words that come out of my mouth, Father, they not, not be my words, but what you have to say to this congregation today. Give us open minds, our hearts, and ears to hear your truth today. Lead us into deeper, deeper relationship with you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today we are, we're looking at Matthew 7. I'm happy to be back with you all. Last time was great. Uh, and not great because of anything I said, but, but because y'all are great. It was cool getting to talk to many of you afterwards and hear your stories and hear where you're from and where you're at in life. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for having me back. So you know what to do if you have your Bibles, Flip with me, scroll with me, check up on screen. We're in Matthew 7 today. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. This is the word of the Lord. So last time I was here, I told you guys about my love for movies. Today I want to tell you about my love for basketball. Uh, I don't know where he is, but Pastor Zach knows how much I I love the game. I play as much as I can, uh, much to my wife's dismay. I, I try to get it in at least once a week. Back in the day, it was a lot more, but this is where I am now. And at the ripe old age of thirty-three, soon to be thirty-four, I recognize some things about myself. One of those things I recognize is I'm a bad defensive player. I don't say that with shame anymore. I understand what I'm good at, what I'm good at, and I understand what I'm not good at. I used to be good. When I first started playing twenty years ago, I was four eleven. I was four eleven until I was about fifteen. Yeah, it was. I hit that growth spurt late. But the guys wouldn't let me on the court unless I played good defense. So at 4'11, I was jumping high, I was blocking shots, I was staying in front of everybody. But you know what happened between my sophomore year and junior year of high school? I grew. I got tall-ish. I mean, I'm only 5'10". But you know, I, I, I got taller than 4'11, and all of a sudden, I started to take the shots. All of a sudden, I started to put the ball in the hole. I was a different player, and my defense started to wane. And now, I'm getting older. Not as fast as I used to be. I was playing yesterday against some guys, you know, 23, 24, 25, and they were running past me. And it's not that I let them go. I tried to stay in front of them, but you know, they, they're younger than me. They, they just got on by. And I'm also lazy now. I understand. I can't give all of my energy to playing defense because I still want to score. So a couple of weeks ago, I played in a league in the city. We made it all the way to the championship game. Now, we were getting smoked. As team captain, I called the timeout, and I said, listen, we need to tighten up, all right? This game is still winnable. We're only down by 10. There's plenty of time. We can come back and win this game, but everybody needs to play defense. Get in your stance. Get down. Don't give your man an open shot. All hands in. Everybody goes, yeah, let's do it. Immediately out of the timeout, ball swings around. My guy has six feet of room. Where was I? I was was all the way back there. Like, again, I'm getting old. I can't run as fast as I used to. And he goes and he takes the shot. And my team immediately yells at me, CJ, you just said to us, play defense. Don't give your man any room. I said, he's going to miss anyway. And he did. because I knew it. But I was playing bad defense. I was telling my team to do something that I wasn't doing myself. And see, this is a problem that many of us have. That was a cute little story to get you to this place. We're so busy talking about what other people are doing, that we're missing what's going on in ourselves. A quickness to point out the problems in others while ignoring our own. We find ourselves being experts in the sins of others. Harsh critics who pull no punches while demanding grace for ourselves. Sin tells us to justify ourselves, right? If I'm a liar, I say at least I'm not a thief. If I'm a thief, I say at least I'm not a murderer. As long as the standard of excellence and holiness is the person next to you, you will always find a way to come out on top. You will always find a way to ignore what's going on in your own heart and in your own life, because somebody next to you is worse. And this is the messiness of Christian community. So this is this is one of those passages that I like to say it. Uh, it talks about in-house issues. This isn't about what, what's going on out there. This is about who we are to each other who we are to the people we call sisters and brothers in the faith. People you spend significant amounts of time with. People you you get to know well. People redeemed by faith just like you, who you are now experts in their sin. So if I can give you my sermon in a sentence, it is simply this. Love and judge others gently. This is a passage about relationships and sin. How we handle the sins of others, how we handle our own sins, and how we show the world the love of Christ. So I have to start by just asking, how do we address the sin in the lives of the people we love? Are you quick to judge or are you gracious? Notice I said those we love because this isn't a call to go out there and start pointing out the sins of random people in the street. You ever seen those, uh, I think it's the the Allstate commercials, where it's like, we can't stop you from turning into your dad, into your parents, and the 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 person's walking by and they have blue hair, and the guy's like, oh, I got to say something, I got to say something. And and the State Farm person's like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, and he just, he has blue hair. This this isn't that. This, this, This isn't the call for you to start pointing out the random things that you see in the street. This is about how we are to each other, to our family. This is specifically about dealing with people that you know and who know you and got some time in the game with you. See, when I play pickup basketball, I don't really get on the random people that I just met in the park. I just met you. I don't know you. I, I can't talk to you about you know, the, the intricacies of your game and what I think you should be doing better. Oh, but if you're one of my boys, we play together a lot, and I know you can do better, I'm going to call you out on it in the same way I expect you to call me out. See, one of the the core values of the church is going through life together. We live this thing together. One of the most beautiful doctrines in the Bible is that of adoption. That Jesus died to make us a part of God's family. So every single person in this room who professes the name of Jesus with you is family. That means we're going to have hard conversations with family. That means we're going to get in each other's business. We're going to get on each other's nerves from time to time. Don't yes and amen that. Now, this is one of those passages that's often taken out of context, right? Often seen as a a license to do what I want because nobody can judge me or say anything about it. I used to hear this passage growing up all the time, and someone would say, only God can judge me. So popular, even Tupac made a song about it. And usually the words following that was, uh, God knows my heart. Only God can judge me, and God knows my heart. Therefore, you can't say anything to me about what I'm doing. But is that what Jesus really meant? When he's given these words, is that, is that what he was talking about? When he said, judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is getting at just scales here. He's talking about judging other people fairly, giving them the same grace that you would want for yourselves. See, we we all like to believe the best about ourselves. We all like to think that we are better than we are. And therefore, we think that we can sit in a position to judge. And I think where we see this most, and I'm speaking for myself here, I don't know how it is for the rest of you, but it's what we judge other people the most harshly for. The things that make us the most angry or we have the most to say about are usually the things that we struggle with ourselves. Our harsh criticism is often an outward expression of our inner turmoil. You ever be wrestling with something, frustrated with something that you're doing, and you see someone else do it, and you just get mad at them? It's not about them. It's about you. But you can't give yourself that same level of hate So you project it onto someone else. But the other side of that is self-righteousness. It's the thing that uh, we would never do, and therefore we think we can judge someone else for it. We look at that other person and we say, why can't you be more like me? I would never do that, so why are you? Or how about when you beat that sin, when you beat that addiction, when you overcome, and now you start to look back at other people and go, I did it, why couldn't you? You know, my sister used to get on my nerves. Because she was that person who would go, I get straight A's, why can't you? Because I'm not as smart as you. Actually, I think I am. She's just better with books than I am. But it would annoy me so much in junior high to watch her come home with straight A's and me being the C student that I was. Hear her say, well, you just need to study harder. Well, I think if studying harder was the thing, maybe I would have done it. But this isn't a therapy session. We can talk about that later. It is humility that says... But for the grace of God, I am who I am today. I am where I am today. If you beat the addiction, if you've overcome the sin, it was not your power. It was not your might. It was by his spirit. You have no idea what other people are going through. We know our own inner turmoils. We know our own inner battles. We know the things that we struggle with. And we know exactly how that stuff will manifest itself in our lives. So how could we possibly look at someone else not knowing the pain and the sadness they're going through and turn our nose up at them? See, this is one of the main points of this passage. It's that attitude by which we judge others. It's not that we can't Offer critique or point things out because the Bible actually calls us to do that. If you see your brother or sister slipping into sin, it is your job to pull them back out. It is your job as a sister, as a brother, to say, no, 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 don't, don't take that path. But the how matters. You ever have someone tell you the truth and you get mad because the delivery was off? Yes. It's not what they said was wrong. It's how they said it. I was with one of my, one of my young boys the other day. We were, we were having dinner. We were talking about life and, and where he is. He's 24, so he thinks he knows everything about the world and how it works. And he was saying, we were talking about, you know, where we've been in life and kind of the, the sin struggles that we've been through. And he said to me, you know, there are two things that led me down the path that I went on. One was arrogance, just thinking I could do whatever I want. And the other one was faith in God. See, I sinned because I knew that God would lead me out of whatever I got myself into. And I immediately stopped him and said, no, that's just arrogance. And he goes, no, no, it's faith in God. I'm like, no, no, no. God says do not test him. Paul says in Romans, do we keep sinning that grace may abound? You thinking that you can do whatever you want because you feel God is going to pull you out of it is not faith. It is arrogance. Nothing I said was wrong. But the way I said it rubbed him the wrong way. And I'm reminded in that interaction, that no matter how right you are, no matter how truthful your words are, the how matters. Everybody's different. You might be able to give a harsh word to somebody, and for another person, they might need you to be as gentle as a lamb. Never never forget that. We don't want to be that person who gives the harsh attitude who looks at others and says, why can't you be more like me? Because that's just a recipe for a relational disaster. Nobody wants to be around that person, right? That person who's like, I can do it, why can't you? You know, I, I, I watch, uh, let me think of a great basketball player. I watch LeBron James do, do this amazing dunk. If he was to look at me and say, well, why can't you be more like me? I wouldn't want to be around that. You're 6'8", 260, you move like a gazelle. I'm 5'10", and I can barely touch my toes now. What do you mean, why can't I just be more like you? But what we fail to realize is the same standard we use to judge others is how God will judge us. So as we sit here, we want to be harsh with others. We want to be rough with others, and we want to just lack grace. Think about that. How much more gracious would we be if we remembered that God said the same way you judge others is how I'm going to judge you? So when we see another celebrity Christian fall, will we heap judgment or will we instead mourn and pray? Because there is collateral damage. There are families. There are victims. There are congregations that don't need to hear our judgment. They need our prayer. See, a spirit of humility and gentleness looks on that and says, again, but for the grace of God, I am who I am today. A spirit of humility and gentleness also recognizes that pastor committed adultery, but Jesus said, if you look lustfully, same thing. That person committed murder. Jesus said, if you hold anger in your heart, same thing. Just scales. Don't think because you didn't do the thing that they did that you are completely innocent. You know that harsh critic who just seeks to tear people down with their words? The one who's just intentionally hurting and injuring people? That's the person that Jesus is talking about. Do we think about how our words and critiques hurt and damage others? About how our words lead to lasting damage? I don't, I don't think I need to tell y'all about that, because I guarantee 75% of us in this room are still healing from childhood words, things said jokingly or on purpose that live rent-free in our minds. There's not a day that goes by in which the words do not play in my head that you are not enough. You'll never be anything. It's just wasted potential. There's a reason the book of Proverbs said that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Watch what you say. Judge and love others gently because you never know what thing you might say that will live rent-free in someone's head for the rest of their lives. We're going to give an account for every word that we say. Every word. Every throwaway joke. Every harsh criticism. I don't know if y'all are... uh, if y'all are like me and you're into the Marvel movies, but there's this show, Loki, where he, he goes to this kind of great beyond place, and as they're, they're processing him and they're checking him in, he's handed a stack of papers this thick. And they say please sign here and attest that this is every word you have ever spoken. And he goes, what? And the printer just prints out another piece of paper. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. And the printer just prints out another piece of paper. We will have to give an account, just like Loki, for every word. So judge and love others gently. You know, it's easy for us to be harsh critics of of people we don't like, right? We don't even pretend to be objective in those cases. And I'm guilty of this. I can have really harsh words and feelings of disgust uh, when I'm guilty of things that I'm guilty to. But if it's someone that I know and I love, all of a sudden I'm the most empathetic and caring person on earth. The plank is right there, yet somehow I miss it, or really just ignore it. And I know because I did this a few weeks ago. I got lunch with, a, with an old coworker. And of course, you have lunch with an old coworker, what, you, what do you start doing? You start talking about the place that you were together. We start talking about how terrible that place was and how bad the leadership was and just how arrogant and rude and dismissive and hurtful. And, and you, you know, you walk away from a conversation and you think to yourself, man, I shouldn't have said that. I was a little harsher than I needed to be. I could have been more gracious in that moment. I walked away from that conversation doing exactly that thing, knowing that all the things that I was upset with that person about, inner turmoil. It's the things that I'm guilty of, too. I missed the plank, but really I just ignored it. And the sad thing is, is that when the world looks at the church right now, this is what they see. A bunch of people missing their planks to take out some specks. Because right now we're known more for what we're against than what we're actually for. We turn a blind eye to our own sin because it's easier to talk about others. And this has led us to where we are. One quick YouTube search. And you will see hundreds of Christians deconstructing their faith, walking away from Jesus, walking away from the cross, walking away from the church because they're tired of the hypocrisy that they felt. I grew up in a youth group that had about 150 kids. About 20 of us are still following Jesus. And you talk to those people I grew up with, many of whom... I'm still friends with. We grew up together. There's just certain bonds that don't break. And they'll tell you, I'm tired of the hypocrisy. All those people in church telling me to do one thing while they're doing the other. They're tired of the orthodoxy not meeting the orthopraxy, simply to say that they are tired of the doctrine not meeting the living. We say we believe one thing and we're living another. It reminds me of uh, this old Frederick Douglass quote where he said that the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. He wrote those words almost 200 years ago. And yet this continues to be our legacy today. Where so many people say the Christianity of the Bible and the Christianity of America, I don't recognize the two. The only difference now between our day and Frederick's day is that it's playing out on the internet. Now don't get me wrong. I don't think deconstruction is all bad. Paul tells us to make sure of our calling and our election. To test your faith. Ask questions. That's what you got pastors for. That's what you have church leaders for. That's what you have each other for. To wrestle through those hard questions together. But too many people are deconstructing themselves right out of the faith. And that is a problem. There is no hope in this life. There is no hope in this world outside of Jesus. Amen. None. Y'all know that. How many of us in this room have looked to other things, to other people, hoping that they would be our salvation, hoping that they would be our rescue, that they would make us feel good just for a moment? And when that moment passes, we find ourselves feeling empty again. Too many people have been fed this rainbows and butterflies version of Christianity that was never going to stand up against real life. So they're trying to deconstruct themselves out of something that was never really there to begin with. We don't have really, really time to go there today. Let me, let me get back to this text. Why do we see the speck that is in, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's this log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I said before, we all like to believe the best about ourselves. But if we're not honest with ourselves, we can't fight sin that we won't acknowledge. And I want you to think about this. Who lies to you more than you? How much time do we spend convincing ourselves that what, the wrong that we're doing is actually right? How much time do we convince ourselves, spend time convincing ourselves that what we're doing is okay? It's not that bad. God's gonna get me out of it, it's all right. I spent all of college pretending to be a Christian. And see, I, I, I thought I had it all right because I, I wouldn't drink, I wouldn't party, I'd go to church every couple of months, I'd listen to Christian music in private. So anything else that I was doing, I was just struggling with. And even though I was knee-deep in it, I would just say, well, God, you understand. I'm getting it all right over here. This is, this is just a struggle. It's not a struggle if you're not actually fighting. That word struggle means that there actually needs to be some pushing and pulling going on there. Oh, no, I was just walking headfirst into sin. There's no struggle there. But I, I lied to myself. I was convincing myself that it was, it was all right. That's not faith. It's just being dishonest. The uh, theologian John Stott, talking about this passage, says that Jesus thinks of his days as a carpenter. You can't see to remove a tiny speck of sawdust from someone's eye if you have a great plank of wood in your own. So it is with judging others. We pick on a tiny blemish in someone else's behavior when there's a far greater fault in ourselves. Who in here is not guilty of that? I look on the pride, arrogance, and stubbornness of others as though on my worst days, the same things couldn't be said about me. And the same things could be said on some of my best days. Somehow that giant plank escapes me as I latch on to what might just be a bad day for someone else or what might just be a slip-up. But I look at them and I go, aha, I got you. Missing the plank that sits in my eye. I think just as important in this passage is the language, the language that Jesus uses here. He's talking about your brother. The plank in your, the speck in your brother's eye. How do, we, how do we treat our siblings? We give them a hard time, right? I've got four brothers and a sister. You give them a hard time. But when push comes to shove, when we really get into the thick of it, we're gentle with him. My oldest younger brother, I'm the oldest of the boys, spent 10 years in prison. And he got home last year and he's right back to doing the same things. It's easy, it would be easy for me to just yell at him. To just like, haven't you learned? What's wrong with you? But that's my brother. No matter what he does, I'm going to love him. And I'm going to be gentle with him. This is what Jesus is calling us to. That same gentleness we would use with our natural family, we are to use with our spiritual family. Because Jesus says it is by our love for each other the world will know that we are his. See, if you see me love my brother, that's expected. It's my brother. I got to love him. No matter what we've been through in life together. But you who are not my natural family extra graciousness with you, extra love for you, the world is going to look at that and say there's something different here because we have no reason to not cut each other off when things get hard. I can easily look at you and say you're just the person I go to church with. I don't need to keep you around. But Jesus says no. You are family. And because of that you're going to love each other deeply. And when the world sees that they will know You are mine. But he knew we wouldn't be perfect. He knew that we would have problems when it comes to dealing with each other. And if we're honest, some of us are just difficult people and we know it. But what separates us from everyone else is that love. And I think this is what's so frustrating with me about the state of the church today. Is that we live in a world whose immediate response to people we don't like is cancellation. And here we are as Christians, just following the world. Somebody does something wrong, we cancel them. And as Christians, we go, yeah, let's cancel them. As though we forget what redemption is. As though we forget the muck and the mire that God pulled us from. I'm watching Christians every day get on Twitter and Facebook and get into the ugliest of arguments with other Christians. What love are we showing the world? Now, that's not to say that, you know, it's all kumbaya and we never disagree. Because we're going to disagree and that's fine. But remember, that delivery is important. It's even in how we disagree, we're showing the world our love for each other. Now, you may not spend your days consumed by the internet like I do, but you do spend them in this world. So when people see you and how you treat those who are supposed to be your sisters and brothers, do they get that sense of love? When they see you disagree with other members of the faith, do they still sense that you love them even though you don't agree with them? Because what I'm seeing is the same vitriol and hate that the world uses to attack its opponents being used on people who are supposed to be our family. This, this can't be what marks us. This, this can't be who we are because nothing about this is honoring to Jesus. And nothing about this is attractive to a world that is lost in sin and searching for a savior. Because they look at our bickering and our infighting and they say, if this is what Jesus has to offer, if if these are his people, I'm good. i got enough problems out there. I don't need to come in here and deal with the same thing. And to hear that, that should wreck us. We shouldn't feel comfortable with that. We shouldn't see strangers walk through these doors and then walk back out because of how we treat each other. Because they look at that and they say, well, if this is how you treat people you know, how are you going to treat me? The person that just rolled in off the street. You know, Jesus, Jesus is calling us to something greater. But in order for us to do that, it's going to take godly wisdom. So he says to us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. It's interesting where Jesus takes us in this text. We move from relationship with each other to relationship with the father. Because nothing we do, absolutely nothing we do can exist apart from grace. The fact that you walked in here this morning, that doesn't exist apart from grace. The fact that you were breathing, it doesn't exist apart from grace. Your eyes opening this morning, that was the grace of God. And if we're going to treat each other with love and humility and gentleness, that is also going to take the grace of God. Because for many of us, and I include myself in this, that's not our natural disposition. We don't wake up loving and gracious and, and gentle and humble. I wake up ready for war. And I need God to say, hey, 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 let's bring it down. You on 10. Let's, let's get to a 7. Have, I don't drink coffee. Have your cup of tea. We'll get you to a 5. We're we going to be all right. It's the grace of God. We need the hand of God. On our lives constantly, if we're going to live the way that He has called us to. There is no life apart from Him. And the moment you try to step away from that hand of God, where do you end up? Trouble? And now, this is especially true when we're dealing with each other. Because it's something about being around the family of God that, that lets us think that we can take our guard down. We're around other Christians. We don't necessarily need the hand of God to tell us how to deal with each other. It's not true. We expect so much more from each other that we need even more grace from God. Because we'll look at each other and say, you're a Christian, how are you doing this to me? You're a Christian, how are you acting like that? When we see people out there, we go, oh, well, you're not a Christian. I can almost expect it. I can understand it. And we forget to have that same level of grace for each other. So what we need to do is we need to ask God to help us in this area. So Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Those are all action words. There's urgency in this. There's an understanding that there is an important work to be done and that it cannot wait. My oldest child is three and a half. And when she wants something, she has no shame in making the urgency of her request known. Sometimes asking four times before I can answer from the first time. Because to her, whatever it is, even if it's just watching another episode of Jake and the Pirates. It's that serious. And if she can display this level of urgency about a cartoon that just like, doesn't make any sense, how much more can we display urgency in asking God to expose us where we are in our hearts on this issue? So the last thing I want you to do today is take that passage, this passage out of context and think that we can use it as a way to say, only God can judge me. Because that's not true. Instead, I want you to humbly seek clarity from God. Ask him, where do I need to repent in this area? Where do I need to find that sister or brother that I've offended and apologize? I want y'all to know something. You guys have a great pastor here, Pastor Edwin. I think he might, he's one of those guys that, that's pastoring when he doesn't even realize it. Because we met up a couple of, couple of weeks ago, and we were just talking about life. And he said this line that has stuck with me ever since. There are no jerks in the cemetery. I've been estranged from my father for eight years now. And there was a part of me that was just like, man, that's just it. I'm good. And then Pastor Edwin reminded me there are no jerks in the cemetery. There is going to come a day when my father is no longer here. And I will probably regret having not reached out to him. But it, 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 it takes that humbling by God to get us to see that sometimes. Amen. And that is what we need. Who have we offended? Who have you offended that you need to go and seek reconciliation with? Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be successful. There are some people who just may not want to be in your life, but the responsibility is on you. You who has been saved by God. You who knows the power of the blood of the lamb. You who can look back on your life and say, I know where God has brought me from. And he didn't save me to keep me quiet. I have responsibilities on you. Where are the planks in your eye? And then a big part of this is we need to develop our relationship with God. See, a part of our broken relationships with each other can often be directly related to our broken relationship with God. We spend so much time judging others to avoid the brokenness that exists with us. We all could pray more, but for how many of us, Sunday is the only time we pray? We all could spend time, more time in scripture, but for how many of us, when those words come up on the screen, those are the only time in the week that we're interacting with God's word? we don't have a relationship with him, our relationships with other people are going to be broken. John Stott, again, says that Christians are caught up in a complex network of relationships, each of which arises from our relation to Christ. Once we are properly related to him, our other relationships are all affected. New relationships are created. Old relationships are changed. Thus, we are not to judge our brother, but to serve him. What if we looked at that at the critiques that we give to our brothers and sisters as a way to serve them. How much more gracious and gentle and loving would our words be? See, Jesus makes us right with the Father and with each other, giving us new hearts and new attitudes towards people, bonding us as family. So judge and love each other gently. This body of believers this family you have next to you should not be taken lightly because it is a direct product of the cross. When we look at Calvary, that old rugged cross, it wasn't just about your sin. It was about bringing you into a brand new life with new people. This, what we get to do here today, who we get to be with, do not take this for granted. Don't. This is a direct product of the death burial and resurrection of our savior so assess critically but do not judge harshly the book of proverbs says that iron sharpens iron have you ever actually watched that happen have you ever watched two knives being used to sharpen each other sparks fly it's hot it looks a little uncomfortable I imagine if knives had feelings, they would be saying "ow" the entire time. But that's how it is for us. It is hot. It is uncomfortable. But it makes us better, both of us, in the end. We point out the errors in our sisters and brothers not to tear them down, but to build them up in the faith. Iron, sharpening iron, is a hot and rough process. But in the end, both blades are sharper for it. Only God can judge you. Is half true. He is the ultimate and final judge. Never forget that. But he has given us each other for the purpose of growing us up into the image of Christ. As I judge you, as you judge me, we are being made more into the image of our Savior. And we reflect that image into the world. And so part of the way that we do that is through humble judgment and critique of others. And being judged by them. This isn't a one-way street. Assessing critically how we can help someone grow in their faith while we accept the critiques that they give us to help us grow. Because none of us have arrived. None of us have reached the mountaintop and can say, I have mastered what it means to follow Jesus. You know, in the early parts of this pandemic, I spent the first six months preaching to a church where the average age was 75. Being in my 30s, having babies, having a lot of friends in their 20s, having a bunch of cousins who are teenagers, I find that we are all asking the same questions. What does it mean for me to be a Christian right here, right now, at this stage of my life? So ask for humility and how to approach people. Because we're all trying to figure it out. None of us have arrived. We're all trying to get to this place where we'll we hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. God calls us into deeper relationship with Him, and a part of that is deeper relationships with others. But self-righteousness. Self-righteousness will ruin that. Thinking that we figured it out and we've reached the mountaintop, thinking that we sit in the position to judge, will hurt that. The Christian life is messy. It is ugly. But the church is also a place of beautiful healing and transformation. But I don't need to tell you that because many of you know this to be true. Many of you inside of these four walls have seen the redemption and the healing that comes from being a part of a community like this. So I want us to walk in the truth of God's word and to judge and love each other gently. Let's pray to that end. Father, when I think about who we are, who you've made us, I don't think of sin first. I think of identity. And our identity is as sons and daughters of the most high God. That you have saved us into this beautiful family, this broken family. This family is a need, that is a need of healing. But we recognize that our healing comes from you and you alone. So we get to live with each other, learn from one another, be gracious and kind to one another. But we also know that that's not always easy. So we ask this morning for humility, Father. We ask this morning for an extra spirit of gentleness and graciousness from you. Father, there are people in this room who are struggling in their faith, who the last thing that they need is judgment. They need gentle and kind ears. Father, I pray that you would deliver those people to them. There are also people in this room who have questions about their faith, who've been going to church for a long time, but still haven't quite figured out what it means to follow you. I pray that they wouldn't leave here with their questions unanswered. I pray that they would seek their pastors, that they would seek leaders in this community, and that they would talk, and that they would recognize that anything that is said to them is not from a place of judgment place of love. Nothing we do in this world, nothing exists apart from your grace. So Father, as we seek deeper relationships with one another, give us a deeper relationship with you. And my prayer for this church is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, that they would know the height, the depth, and the breadth of your love for them through Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.